to see you. I'm thankful for how the Lord sees us. And he answers prayer. Jesus uh, leading worship today really is a, an answer to prayer. We've been praying in our church for a, a bilingual worship leader for months and months. And God has answered that prayer in Jesus. Let's thank the Lord for that. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those reminders in my life that God sees us, that, he, that, that prayer is so powerful, that, that we, when we pray, what happens is it's not that God moves him to our will, God moves us to his will. And that's what prayer does. Prayer, prayer aligns us. It doesn't align God with us, it aligns us with God. And, and that's so very important. And, and it's just, a, 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 just an upfront reminder that God sees us. God sees you. He sees your life. He sees the details of your life. He interacts with you. He walks with you. And this is the, the blessing of getting to recognize the Lord's presence. How important it is to, to be aware of the presence of God. You, you know, in the last service, um, uh, Mike Napier and his family were, were, were back with us. It's so good to see Mike. Maybe if you, those many of you may not know Mike Napier, but uh, he used to be on staff here and, and uh, just a great leader. He led our evangelism and outreach in the life of our church. And, and, and you know what? Right now, uh, they need us to pray for them. Um, this has been a real, they're here in a real tough moment. Um, Mike's brother-in-law was shot and killed uh, just a few days ago in Wagner. You may have seen it on the news, and it's been really tough. It's a real raw moment for them, a confusing moment. But... A moment that, that they need us to pray for them. So here's what I want us to do just starting today as we begin our, our time together. Let's just stop and pray for the Napiers. Can you join me? Let's pray together. Father, today we bow before you. And Lord, a part of our family, though you've called them to New Mexico now and they're shepherding well, Lord, they're hurting right now. Their family is broken and confused and, and grieving. And Father, I thank you that you're big enough to handle our doubts, our questions our frustrations, our hurt. And so we bring them to your feet, asking that you would touch them and help them, lead them, comfort them. Lord, the, the hurt, the anger, the shock that they're feeling, oh, Lord, help them. 
In this moment, I pray that they would feel the prayers of your people and just recognize the power of your presence. So, Lord, would you help them today? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for praying with me, with them. You know, as, as we walk with the Lord, God moves us to grow up spiritually, moves us to spiritual growth. And, and, and we're, we're in this really challenging chapter in, in, in the Bible that, that, that is, is, is this spiritual growth chapter. It's this chapter that when you put it into practice, you're growing up. You can't do it without growing up. It's, it's the love chapter. And, and, and it's a, it, as I read it, as I meditate on it, it reminds me that God has called us to be a witness. He's called us to spheres of influence. He's called us to people that don't know, know the Lord. He's called us to this place, this city in Owasso and Tulsa. And, and, and now it's so, you know, we, we practice singing in Spanish today. Did y'all get that? Did y'all catch that today? Uh, that was Spanish, okay? And, we're, and we're, 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 we're stepping outside of a comfort zone of, of, of reaching uh, into an area we've not reached before. Because God is moving us to, to love people, to see the world like he sees them, to see our community with his eyes. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're to inject ourselves. We encounter all kinds of people passing through life. And, and as followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to walk with the Lord and to, to know the Lord. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so powerful for us. Because it's moving us to, to, to understand what love is like. And, and we've been learning what it looks like to, to pursue love. And we've recognized that of our goals in life, the most important goals, it's, it, it, it's not um, comfort. That's not our most important goal. We, we don't pursue comfort here. It's, we're, it's not comfortable singing in Spanish and trying to learn a language that we don't know. And, and, uh, and, and, and we don't seek comfort God moves us to often to step into faith and to trust him and, and to get out of our comfort zone. Comfort's not our, fa- our most important goal. Security's not our most important goal. God leads us to, to, to trust him and, to, and, and he, you know, we, we have to step out into the unknown. It's not security. Our, our most important goal is, is, is not money or things like that. God tells us, and it's interesting, as I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, my eyes wandered over to the, the first part of 1 Corinthians 14. You know, what that, you know what the first command in 1 Corinthians 14 says? Pursue love. So, so it reminded me that, that this, as we learn what it looks like to love people in our world, it's, it's not something we accidentally stumble into. Um, we, we, it, it's a... It, it, it really, this challenge in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love, kind of in a nutshell, describes the goal of our lives, what we are in pursuit of. And, and we're to pursue these things, and, and it's not an accident. And we're to learn how to love a world that is hard to love. And we recognize this because we are hard to love. At times, and 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 like I've said multiple times, as we've looked at this passage, there, there's controversy in our world about what love looks like. And we need to understand this: that that loving someone does, doesn't mean you always agree with somebody. That's that's contrary to what our world articulates. 
that, that, that we kind of have this tendency in our world that if, I, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. But that, that's not really uh, what it means to love somebody. We're going to disagree at times. To, to loving somebody does not mean ignoring truth. Um, there are things that are true, and there are things that are false, and, and, and disagreement is not unloving. Ignoring truth is not loving to do. So, so we, we've got to recognize the controversy, that, that, and we need to be careful with the, the confusion of acceptance and approval, that, that we can accept somebody without approving of of. A lifestyle. And, and you know what? We, we recognize this because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus accepted us first. And we, we've gotten this in the right order, I hope. I pray that, that in our church we understand this, that, that I don't get my life together and then come to Jesus. No, I, I mean, Jesus just meets me where I am. Jesus pursues me where I am, and then, then he puts my life together. That's so very important. That, that, that we, Jesus has taught us that this uh, acceptance without approval, because he's growing us up, he's patient with us, he's kind to us, and he's, he's shown us this. And, and we see what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 helps us see what it looks like to love, love others. And this morning, we're going to finish up with verse 6, and we're, and we're considering today how, how love moves us to rejoice with the truth. So let's stand together. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and let's turn our face to the Word of God today. It says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now as we, uh, um, I'm excited about wrapping, coming to a landing on 1 Corinthians 13. We, we, uh, We'll be in here this week and next week, and then in August we start a, a study that I'm I'm really looking forward to. We're gonna we're gonna turn our face to Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, going to the Old Testament, and I'm really I think God really has some things for us through His Word. But 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 you know as you look at this track through First Corinthians 13, it's very important for us. Um, we we processed this for weeks now, but but. When you think about this concept, love rejoices with the truth. Zero in on that. Look at that. We know that nothing blows up a relationship quicker. Is that, is that a word, quicker? Uh, faster, more rapidly than a lack of integrity. When, you, when you're not honest, 
you know, I've heard a lot of people describe integrity. My, the definition I've heard my whole life is integrity is doing what is right when nobody's looking. But, but, but when you think about integrity, it's this concept, this idea that, that we're, gonna, we're going to integrate godly values into our lives. That's what integrity is. You integrate the values of God in, into life. And, and integrity comes from that word integrate. It's a decision you make. And if you're going to integrate something, if you're going to have integrity, you don't just stumble into integrity and go, oh my goodness, I was accidentally integ- in, had integrity there. I, I stumbled into that. No, integrity is the idea of intentionality. You, you choose to be, have integrity. And, and we, we can't miss the call as we think about this idea of love rejoicing in the truth that, that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, should be true to our word. And this is a call we have. Think how that would change uh, our marriage. Your marriage, if you're true to your word, think how that would change your parenting when you're true to your word, your, your work. Think how your boss would, would respond if, if ever your boss or your coworkers understood, man, that, that person's true to his word. You know, think of the, um, the, the, of, the, of the peace that comes in your life if you're true to your word. Now, now, all through the scriptures, we understand that this is really important to God. God, God sees this as, a, as an important value. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. I mean, God's saying that, that integrity is more valuable than your material possessions. And, 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 and you know, unfortunately, there, there's a gap sometimes between what our word says and what our life does. And, I, and, and as I wrestled through this idea of love rejoices with the truth, I'm, I'm moved to narrow that gap and, and be, be a little more consistent with my word and my actions. And that's what the Bible moves us to embrace. So if you zero in, look at verse 6. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Look at that word rejoice. Rejoices in the truth. What is that? saying to us is love love desires truth love wants truth love needs truth and and basically when you're loving somebody you're honest and that, let's 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 hang our Let's hang our hat on that a minute. Let's meditate on that just for a little bit. And if you're looking at point number one, if you're following on the app or on, on your notes or following online, um, point number one is that honesty strengthens your witness for Christ. And this is something I pray we recognize, that we're called to be a witness for Christ. We're called to represent Christ to the world. That, that, that we're, one of the values we have at our church is based on 2 Corinthians 5.20 that says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. It is as though God were making his appeal through us and, and that we represent Christ to the world in everything we do, in what, how we live, and, and, and in our neighbors, uh, among our friends, among our family, among our coworkers, among uh, just our... the. the the paths that God takes us, we're to represent Christ to the world. And honesty, what it does for us as Christians, it strengthens our witness. And I would say that we need to 
build a strong witness for Christ. And, and this makes sense because when you are honest, what happens in your relationships, there's high trust and there's low fear, right? If you can be trusted at work, if your word is consistent with your actions, you have a high trust, low fear. Your boss will trust you. He's not going to wonder about you. Your, your husband or your wife will, will trust what you say. Your kids will trust what you say. There's high trust, low fear. And when we operate in this way, others can relax around us. They can um, be confident in us. And, and, and this is just builds, it builds healthy relationships. It builds a healthy witness. And like Psalm 2521 says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me. And the psalmist says, for I wait for you. I think it's interesting. Lord, Lord, I, it's this idea that God, I'm bringing you glory. I'm, I'm trusting in you as I live with integrity. And, and, and this, this, Integrity, it, it, it not only enhances your relationship with others, but more importantly, it enhances your relationship with God. And this is what integrity does. Integrity, what does it do? It brings security to you. That's what integrity does. It helps us live securely. It, it, uh, it gives you this peace. Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And integrity gives us security. And if, and if you're wondering about, man, I wish my life felt more secure. I wish I was, uh, um, had more stability in my life. Well, pay attention to your word. Do you rejoice in the truth? Integrity brings security. Integrity also produces better decisions, doesn't it? When we walk in integrity, we make better choices. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. That, that protection, security, guidance, uh, they, they are the results. God's guidance, God's protection, security, it's a result of integrity. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love rejoices with the truth, it says. Our word has integrity. Uh, when you think about a faithful witness, we, uh, a faithful witness builds integrity, don't we? And this is something we've got to do. And this is when I, as I meditate on this, it, it, it moves me to think about, do my words, is, is the gap between what I say and what I do, is that narrow or is that wide? One of the things I pray we do is that we narrow that gap and make sure we are people of integrity. And how do we do that? How do we build integrity? Let's lean into that for a minute. How do we do it? Well, the first thing, and I feel this conviction today, to, to guard our words. If you're going to build integrity, guard your words. If you're going to be a person that rejoices in the truth, you guard your words. Get, get out. Let's be honest with you. Uh, sometimes in my zeal to help somebody, because, you know, I do have a, I have a pastor's heart, um, and I want to shepherd, I want to help people, and I genuinely want to do that. And, but, but sometimes in my, in my desire to really help, I may overpromise. I did that this I mean, I realized that this week. I had to call somebody and go, hey, man, uh, I overpromised to you. I didn't guard my words when it came to this particular thing. And, and I had to go make something right this week. 
We've got to guard our words as we think about uh, uh, living in integrity. It says, uh, like Jesus dealt with this. You, you know, the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees? They were these guys that were, uh, were notorious. Pharisees and Sadducees in the time of Jesus, they, they had made all these rules. And they were, uh, they, they, they were the biggest headache for Jesus. They were the biggest uh, antagonist of Jesus, and, and he was always having conflicts with them. In the Sermon on the Mount, he has this interaction with the Pharisees that were listening. It's fascinating, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he was pushing the Pharisees, look, you've got to be committed to telling the truth. And he says in Matthew 5, 33, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. He's like, hey, tell the truth, is what he said, Jesus was saying. And, and, but, but the Pharisees had created these rules, and they had gone to the Old Testament, and it's interesting, their, their, their thoughts on this, the Pharisees had said, look, it's okay to swear by the name of God. You can swear by the name of God, but, but then they made these other rules. If you don't want to tell the truth, swear by the king or swear by your own body, you don't have to tell the truth. You can tell a little white lie if you do that, but don't swear by the Lord. They, they took Deuteronomy 6.13 that says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 6.13 says. They, they took Leviticus 19.12 and said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. So the Pharisee says, hey, we can, we, you can't swear by God's name, but you can swear by other names and not tell the truth. And Jesus is like, no, you can't. That's wrong. Don't do that. He, he, he goes on in verse 34 of Matthew 5. He says, you've heard that you could uh, swear by other things, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In verse 37, he says, let what you say simply, yes or no, anything more comes from the evil one. What Jesus is saying here is that we should never make a vow that we don't plan to keep. And we've got to guard our words. And this is, this, Jesus is clear on this, he, guarding your words. Now, now, I hope you're plugging into Bible study here. We're, uh, we have Bible studies that meet before every one of our services, and I hope that's something you're, you're connecting with. Right now, we're studying Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 says, when you, make a vow, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. And all through the scriptures, you see God moving us to rejoice with the truth. Guard your words. And, and you know, this, it's a natural uh, result of guarding your words. We should also stop lying altogether. That'd be a good idea, right? We ought to just stop lying altogether. Think how much smoother your life would go. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Uh, you know, it's, I think it was Mark Twain that said, uh, like, speaking honestly takes a lot of stress out of your life. 
right? And I think he's the one that said, if you, if you don't ever lie, you don't have to remember what you said, you know? And that, that's, that's really, yeah, good. See, think about that. Mar- Marcus got it right there. You know, we don't, we don't have to remember what we said. Integrity, being people of integrity, being a good witness, we should just stop lying. And, and, and I think it's funny if, if uh, uh, like, we're in church and you're telling us to stop lying, shouldn't we know that? Probably, yeah, we should. But, but we still have to remind ourselves because we battle that sinful nature, don't we? We battle that tendency to speak falsely. Can I, can I say something I've learned in the last year? About a year ago, a little over a year ago, I walked my daughter down the aisle. And, and man, she got married, and, and uh, I, I don't know why this hasn't dawned on me before, but it's just dawned on me. I mean, my kids, I'm, I'm used to them being in my house and telling them, clean your room, and, you know, you got to be home at this time. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Don't talk back to your mother, or no, they don't really talk back to their mother, but, uh, but, um, but, but, you know, I, I've been in this mode of, in it, of just instructing my kids. Well, it's dawned on me, they're adults now. Like, my son's 21, I'm not going to ground him, that's weird. I, I can still whip him, I think, but, um, but, uh, but, but you know, uh, it's, it's strange. And then it's dawned on me, oh my goodness. Robin and I, this week, will celebrate 27 years of marriage. I know, I'm grateful, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, too, she stayed with me that long. That's been amazing. I'm surprised, too. But, um, but, but you know, I, we have interacted with our parents longer as an adult than we have as kids. And here's the, here's the like, in my mind, my interaction with my children I will interact with them more as an adult than as a kid. And if you have young kids, remember that. Because, you know, when your kids are young, you can fool them. But when they're looking at you with adult eyes, you can't fool them. And and so let's remember that. Let's let's remember the, the power of honesty coming out of our mouths. Let's remember this one. When you think about rejoicing in the truth, you need to learn to own your mistakes. We should own our mistakes. That's part of rejoicing in the truth, owning our mistakes, owning up when we make a mistake. And, and this is pretty important, that, that God, um, God moves us own our mistakes. And we live in this litigation culture that we're in, that you can't prove what I did. And that doesn't fly in relational life. That may fly in a court. It shouldn't, but it may. But let's, let's own our mistakes. Look how, look how part of rejoicing in the truth is owning it when you, when you mess up. And, and that's why, that's the, 
First step in coming to Jesus, right? You, you come to realize you're a sinner and need a Savior. It's not comfortable acknowledging your sin. It's not, in, it's not comfortable for us recognizing that we're sinners that need to be saved. But that's critical for us. And part of rejoicing in the truth is owning our mistakes and, and recognizing that, that God helps us and honors us as we own our mistakes. That's part of rejoicing in the truth. And, and that moves us to what? Live consistently. And this is something we should do. We should, we should live consistently. We should narrow that gap between our, what we say and, 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 and what we do. So, so what does this look like? How do we, how do we follow through with this? Because this is a lot of, hey, Chris, you should, we should do this. And I'll tell you, I felt this this week as I've meditated on rejoicing in the truth. But let's think about how do we do it? How can you actually live with integrity? How can you rejoice with the, with the truth? Well, let me throw out just a couple of three options here. I think there's three. Yeah. Three options. Do you realize that you can personally engage Christ? That you can interact with the Lord. And, and part of living in the truth, part of rejoicing in the truth, is looking to Jesus going, Lord, I need you. I'm going to personally engage with you. Look, what we're doing today is not religious hoops that we're jumping through. The Spirit of God is here. God moves you, and God speaks to you, and God moves us to do things like pray to him, like we've done today. Praying for a a family that needs our prayer, and and for you to, to engage the Lord and to recognize that God sees you, God answers your prayer, like with Jesus coming. There you are. Uh, with Jesus coming here, we've, we've prayed for him. And, and, and the Lord interacted with us, showing us that he sees us. And as I think back about how the Lord has worked in his life, and it's just beautiful, the story of us coming together. And the truth is, you can engage the Lord wherever, like today. And I pray you do. I pray, that's part of rejoicing with the truth. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm going to engage you. I'm going to interact with you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that, that, that you're just not hearing us pre- hearing me preach or, or the, the Spirit of God is moving, that God is speaking, God is leading. When you have a quiet time, you open your Bible, you're not just jumping through some religious exercise. No, the Spirit of God is moving. God is going to speak to you. God's going to use his word to speak to, to your life. And, and this is, I find, that as I engage the Lord, as I turn to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, what are you saying to me? That that gap between what I say and what I do narrows. I rejoice with the truth. And, and this is important. Then, then we also, not just in personally engage Christ, you know what we need to pay attention to? We need to connect our words and our actions. Let's make some connections. Let's pay attention to, to what's coming out of our mouth with the way we're living. This is very important for us. This is something we should constantly evaluate. Are my actions and my words consistent? Why? Why is this important? Because we're witnesses for Christ. We are, we are, we are called, we, are, we have a responsibility to be a witness for Christ as, as, as a Christian. There's a reason God did not just save us and take us to heaven. You know, there's a reason for that. 
that, 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 that he's got a race for us to run. He's got a work for us to do. And we're to run this race with perseverance. And, and, and we're to run like, like my friend Harold Dupree. I've mentioned him before. Harold Dupree is a Gideon. Uh, interesting guy. He's a, he, uh, I think he's still alive. I'm not 100% sure. But he was an older guy when I met him years ago. Um, I'll find that out. But, um, but, but Harold came to, to give a testimony at our church. And, and, and he had leukemia that he had overcome. And, and he, he was a, an interesting guy. He was an ultra marathoner. Have you ever hung out with those people? They're not right in the head. I mean, ultra marathoners, they like run a hundred mile races. Who does that? Harold did. And, uh, and, and Harold was so interesting to me. I, um, and, and, and he told me a story one time that he, he had a race on a Sunday and he thought, man, do I go to church or just go to my race? I'll go to church first. So he goes to church um, just because he thought, Lord, I'm going to honor you on this day, but then I'm going to go run my race. And, and he goes to the race two hours late. And, uh, and there's this young guy that was, it was a hundred mile race. And uh, he says, this young guy passes him and he says to him, he goes, you're going a little fast. He goes, oh, I got it. I got it, Harold. And Harold beats the guy by three hours. He started like two hours late, uh, beats the young guy. How cool is that? I'm the, I'm, I turned 50. I like when the, young, when the, when the old guys win, right? I kind of <laughs> like that. And, um, and so he beats the young guy by two hours, two or three hours. And I was like, Harold, how in the world do you run a 100-mile race? You know what he said to me? Slow. You, run, you win those by, by going slow and steady. And that's the call we have as followers of Christ. We, we, we run this race steady. We pay attention to, to, to what's happening like here in our everyday lives. We, we, we connect the words our words to our actions, and we're not like 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 so many times people um, live for the high, the spiritual high, or the camp high. I love camp, and I love going to camp. I love it. Sometimes we 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 had in the habit of the of the revival. Man, let's go for, for to the revival and get all pumped up. But but you know what's what really we need to do is rejoice in the truth daily and just daily walk with Jesus. Let's, let's pay attention to our daily actions, our daily interactions with the Lord. I love this, that God moves us to rejoice in the truth day by day. This is the beauty of the local church, that we can come day by day, week by week, live together. This is why you've got to know one another. This is why we've got to be in life together. This is why we've got to be the kind of church that you walk in the door and when you say, someone says, how you doing? And you go, fine. They go, no, really, how are you doing? And that's why we could gather around the Napiers today and go, it's not going good today. It's tough today. It's broken today. But look, we can gather around and pray for them today. Look, we've got to be got to be real. You got to rejoice in the truth, even when it's not going well, even when we're struggling to believe, even when we're, tr- we're, we're going through a trial that we go, Lord, I don't see you right now. Love rejoices in the truth. As I, 
I think about the narrowing of this gap between our, our words and our actions. I'm motivated for this. You know why I'm motivated to connect with my life, with my words? Because I don't want to forget that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. We should never forget that one day we're going to stand before God. Now, now you know what, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when we stand before God, let me tell you, that's not going to be to determine whether or not you're saved. Your salvation is complete. When Jesus saved you, he saved you forever. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that our salvation is, is not only started by God, but it's sustained by God? It's held by God. I'm thankful for that. But, but, but you know what? My life verse is Ephesians 4.1. It's the verse that motivates me. It drives me. It's, it's, it's written on my heart. It's on my wall in my office. It's on my Bibles. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And and what I want us to recognize is that God has called us to rejoice in the truth, to live a life that's worthy of this calling of forgiveness, this name Christian. We're followers of Christ. We need to look like it. We need to act like it. And that's why when I'm leaning into a passage like this, and I feel that conviction. And I sense that conviction. I don't push it away. I bring it close. And I hear those words in my heart as I was thinking about this. Reach out to that guy that you overpromised because you just had compassion for him. But you, you didn't deliver. I had to lean on that. I'd lean into that. See, conviction is good. This uncomfortable reality of learning to love a lost world is important. And so let's let's interact with the Lord here. Jesus, come on up. Let's interact with the Lord today. Let's Let's not miss the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, moving us. And you may think, ah, oh, Chris, uh, I don't like the truth. I don't like the truth. You know what? The first step to healing, though, is coming to terms with the truth. My forgiveness came as, as I began to recognize and God began to open my eyes to my lostness my brokenness, my need of a Savior. Oh, man, I didn't push that away. I leaned into that. And you know what I found? Is that God was there to take away my sin, to to strengthen me in my weakness, to, to help me in my brokenness. And that's what God will do for you. Today, let's narrow that gap between what we say and how we live. Let's recognize that to rejoice in the truth means to own our mistakes, to take them to Jesus, and to let him work in us. Would you let him work in you? We're going to have an invitation, and, and I just want you to know 
conviction, if you feel it today, if you sense it today, maybe you need to go and call somebody today. Maybe you need to go and just rather than stand and sing, get your phone out and sit there and say, text somebody those, uh, hey, we've got to make things right. I'm sorry, I was wrong here. Would you forgive me? Let's lean into the Lord today. Oh, if you need Jesus today, can I tell you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that Jesus' grace and his love is greater than your sin. And if today you have come to recognize, man, I've, I am way inconsistent with my life. I am not. I don't rejoice in truth. But do you know how close you are, how near you are to the Lord right there? You know, I remember when I realized I'm a sinner. And then I saw that Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He went to the cross for me, and, and he shed his blood for me. He died, he rose from the dead, and in that is hope, eternal life, joy, peace. And let me tell you something, God is real. He's at work right now. And, and, and every question you've got really is answered in Jesus. And if you will come to him, he will help you. Don't miss that. Lord Jesus, we lean into you right now. We look to you right now. And Father, as we ask you for your help, lead us to rejoice in the truth. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, if there's a husband that is unstable because of because of lying. I pray for repentance today. There's a wife today, a mom, a dad, employee, an employer. Father, may we be witnesses and may we be faithful to rejoice in truth. Thank you for conviction and thank you for for speaking today. Now move us to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.